Hello and welcome. Thanks so much for taking a listen to this edition of the Saskatchewan Studio Spotlight presented by SAS Music. I'm your host, Ben Vallejo, work at the SAS Music office in our Regina location, and these studio spotlights are all about shining the light on the wonderful studios and the people behind them that we have here in the province of Saskatchewan. For this episode, I'm speaking with Jared Robinson of Nebulous Entertainment in Moose Jaw. Jared is a veteran in the music scene here in the province. Not only music production work, but also a performer himself. Does film composition, does soundtrack work, Nebulous Entertainment. They also do graphic design work, some photography work too. Lots of different projects and lots of different experiences from Jared. So happy to have him on the program today to chat. We're going to kick things off here with a small sample of Jared's work from Nebulous Entertainment. This is from the fantastic artist Zana from her single from 2017, Tracks Called Poison, right here on the Saskatchewan Studio Spotlight. Heartbeat slows down the feeling that you get when you're on edge. Start the countdown, I'm feeling like I'll never get enough of it. Cause I'm addicted to poison. Jared, how are you doing today, my man? Great. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for taking the time to to chat with us about the studio and yeah. and uh, yourself. How did uh, how did this all get started for you? How did this genesis of uh, deciding to go into music production, putting together a home studio setup, how did that kind of come come together for you in your mind? Well, uh, music has always been a large part of my life. My, my parents put me into ear training when I was four years old. So it's, uh, it started early for me. Wow. And, uh, yeah, playing a lot of piano since, uh, since then and, and just kind of, uh, gravitating towards, uh, different melodies and, and learning what works and what doesn't work and, uh, flash forward. I'm in a high school band with my twin brother. Did you know I had a twin brother? I don't think I did. No. no okay. Yeah. He's an awesome guy. He's, the, <laughs> he's, Way cooler and way cooler than me, but uh, <laughs> well, that's tough. That's tough. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we had a, a fun little band together and, and uh, flash forward. Uh, what was the really quick? What was the band name for that? The, the band name in high school was Rumple Wagon. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Big shout out to Rumple Wagon. <laughs> yeah, boy. Yeah, I haven't said that name in a long time. But yeah, it was so much fun. And I remember we played at the X and uh, in these oh, talent cool. competitions. So I, uh, I I went to I ended up going to college to get some some music education and and joined a band within the first couple of weeks and flash forward you know less than a year later and we were at the Juno Awards after being nominated for a, a Christian pop recording so that was pretty wild um, from there we went on to be nominated for uh, best pop album of the year at the Indies and you know it, it kind of started early right. And then uh, touring for about eight years with a rock band, uh, we recorded in a lot of different cities and with a lot of different producers. And and I started thinking, you know, this is, I'm not sure if I would have recorded that that way, although I I, I respect the way that that he did it, and it sounds great. But uh, you know, there's a, there's a few ways that I'd love to experiment with uh, the way that um, you could engineer a guitar. And uh, it didn't take long before I was investing in my own equipment. And uh, boy, I've been at it for how old am I? I've been? I, don't know, I, like, <laughs> I guess I've been at it for over 20 years now. Which yeah. Is yeah. 
So um, yeah, and the studio is always progressing. You know, uh, I haven't I haven't shut it down. I'm always looking for the next little piece of gear or uh, an upgrade to a preamp that does a, has a certain bit of color to it that I that I respect. And uh, so yeah, it's it's a it's a constant uh, journey. That's awesome, man. Yeah, and uh, uh, appreciate the sort of. Um, early early beginnings and then how it switched super out early yeah. yeah i guess uh, going a bl- little bit more philosophical with the studio too here uh you mentioned a couple pieces of gear and i definitely want to touch on that too um in terms of like you said you sort of watching over the so- shoulders of other producers while you were uh yeah. sort of on the music making side of things what what kind of how is your philosophy of recording kind of developed then a little bit i know that's a bit of a bigger question but yeah um the simple answer is uh, I, I sort of you're figuring it out as you go, but I, I love the old world of the analog um, stuff. And, and uh, but that doesn't mean that I don't use some of the latest and greatest tools, but uh, some of the, some of the producers that I've talked to in my career, they, I constantly hear something that sounds like quote, do what works for you. And I, and I find that really interesting because there are some guys that are still, uh, you know, working with, you know, cutting tape up and stuff. I don't think there's a lot of it anymore. Um, but, and then you see these young guys that are making these great tracks uh, out of their bedrooms. And, and so I think that, uh, yeah, do what works for you and just make the, make the art that you're meant to make. Um, as for me, um, I, I've got sort of a, a wide swath of things in the studio. I've, uh, I, I take quite a bit of pride with my channel strips that I love, with the microphones that I love. And at the end of all that, you're still slapping on a, a bunch of digital software and instrument software, and you're fixing things up to give it a sparkle. And, you know, the, the irony of all that is like, I, I've got the complete collection of software that is made to make digital sounds sound a little bit more colored with the analog sort yes. of feeling of it right so um i think that i think people are starting to um th- the way that those frequencies um kind of connect with us uh it's so important to have that uh saturated sort of warm feeling it gives it gives magic. I, there's something that I say in the studio quite a bit because often, and it's not their fault. I think it's great because it just means that they love their, their craft, but you'll have artists that come in and want to talk about what makes this chord sound so unique. And, and I say, that's, that's awesome. I'm glad that you know the math of it. Now let's make it magic. Nice. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I think, I think uh, at the end of the day, you can have the most technical thing, um, but if it has no magic on it, and uh, and that's what I try to do, I try to try to bring in some of that magic. Nice. Okay. So then, yeah. Wow. I really appreciate that answer, Jared. Um, when building on that a bit, when uh, when you do a recording session or uh, when you get started in these projects with with artists, then um, how how do you how do you meander or, or get to that magic? Then do you feel like what what is a bit of that process for you with with sitting down with these artists? Then yeah. That's also a really complicated question. That's a big one, I know, too. Yeah, <laughs> because yeah. so many artists are so different, and you could you could have someone that is really into um, what it's going to take to bring a project 
to this place and they know it's going to be a ton of work. We're going to have to talk about everything and it's going to be experimenting with sounds and it's, you know, a big, big thing. Maybe they're doing a record and they have, you know, a month worth of studio time that they'd like to book. And then the next day I'll get a call on any given Tuesday by somebody that is asking if they can come into the studio for half an hour because they want to put a, a, a verse on a beat. You know, so it's, you get, it's a, and, and that's uh and that's fine too, but it's a, it's just a different, almost kind of a different ecosystem of artists and, and uh, seeing, and it's, it's the product of, uh, of where they've come from and what they've seen, what's worked for them. And, uh, and some of that stuff is, is really great. Um, I love to sit and take the time to work with an artist and kind of talk about where they're coming from and, and where they want to go with it. And that way I can really feel like I'm part of the project uh, building, helping them build it from the ground up. So nice. Yeah. And, and like you say, definitely appreciate it in terms of the, the ecosystem is a good way to kind of put it. I mean, yeah. even, even if you trickle that down to different genres and stuff too, where sure. artists are coming in with, with ideas of sounds or, or where those sounds come from and, those are different for each genre too, that way. So yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, let's, let's talk a little bit about, you mentioned the channel strips, you mentioned uh, the analog and the digital there. Um, yeah. well, some, some favorite parts of the gear there, or like you said, you, you like the an- analog feel and that getting that magic, but you do have the virtual side of things too. Yeah. I, you know, I, I locked out on a couple of things. I, um, I, I ended up meeting somebody that worked for, um, universal records and i found out that he was getting rid of a couple of channel strips a couple of avalon amps that uh, you know i revere as as being that sound that i love and nice. uh, and so by the time you know you run it through um you know neumann microphone into that um preamp compressor and out into digital stuff it's uh it's pretty wild that you know the signal chain just to get it to the computer and then i still have about a thousand options to tinker with it from there and wow uh i don't know how they do it but it's it's wild some some of the stuff out there is just so uh accurate the more studios that are that are popping up the more are relying on those digital tools and i think that some of them are so great that um like just kudos to the companies and the people that are learning how to use them properly but uh, literally the the knobs on those virtual amps work the way that the the real amps work most of the time um for me i i'm just you know i'm i'm pretty blessed to have been able to acquire enough preamps and enough um you know magical little bits that are in my console that by the time the signal chain actually gets to the, uh, the digital workstation, it's already kind of a polished signal and I can take it from there and kind of build on it. But uh, I've spent, I've, I'm going to say years, but, you know, tinkering with, with the real thing and, and figuring out what's working and what's not working. And from there you can translate that to the digital and it's uh, yeah, it just helps you, helps you get that magic. Um, I use it pretty sparingly. I make sure that it's got the, just the, the right amount of a whole bunch of small little things that are making the difference for me. And then if I need to um, really bump that up in post-production, I've got that option there that I can change whenever I want to. So it's, uh, I think that's uh, some of the smallest things make the largest differences in my opinion. Nice. Yeah. Especially in the recording process. You yeah, bet. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
Uh, what about uh, influences too, and in sort of your your workflow, or or uh, yeah, maybe other studios that you've sort of gained a little bit of knowledge from there, or or taken some of that influence from for your process? Yeah, yeah I think I think mostly um, what I do with the signal chain is stuff that I've just researched and and been really interested in and read about, but uh, the stuff that I've picked up on quite early on in my career with other studios has, has been things like mic placement and, and how to, how to treat a room, you know, things like that. And, and uh, you know, once you have some of those basics down um, then you can really start to just hone in on what you're doing to, um, to make the sound what you need to behind the console. So, but it definitely starts with the right mic for the right job and the, um, you know, where you're putting it. And sometimes you've got to move it around a bunch. So I've even seen machines that you can control from the console that kind of moves the mic off center from speakers and things like that. So I mean, it it can get, and that's right up my alley too. I got to tell you, I love, (laughs) I love toys like that. Um, But uh, yeah, haven't, haven't made the investment in it. It's, it's too short of a walk for me to get up from my console and walk (laughs) into the next room for me to buy a robot. But uh, Hey, never say never. Right. There's still time. Exactly. Adding to the studio. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I, I appreciate you talking like that, Jared, because it's it's really neat to see in terms of even going back to like you saying the the magic or or, or creating that magic and building it in into a sound. Um, it starts with all those little parts and all those little pieces, and that's where you get those distinctions. And a lot of folks might not, you know, even realize, you know, that's why, like you said, the frequencies or realize the sounds hitting them in that different way based on how you've done those little uh, almost step-by-step adjustments. So that's a really cool process for it, Jared. Yeah, yeah it's, it starts early um, to create that sonic synthesis. I think there, there's a lot of different steps. And, and even at the end of your, your mix, you've still got you know, a lot of mastering and, at different levels. And even that final step can be seven steps. <laughs> so, right, yeah. yeah and, and then, you know what? Someone's going to take the track and they're going to put it on their favorite uh, ear pods and... Uh, <laughs> it'll be it'll be it's what true. it is yeah they'll yeah. crush it down to be able to email it to someone and yeah yeah, yeah. that's right yeah <laughs> you end up with this tinsely mp3 at the end of it when someone <laughs> all right so we know your stance on those things for mp3s versus yeah <laughs> i i you know i think there's uses for those things and and i understand uh, websites compress things to to kind of keep space down but it is it is kind of frustrating sometimes when you send a mix to somebody and, and they're listening to it on their phone, um, you know, even without headphones. Just, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, it's I, the I, changing yeah. world too, though. Yeah, yeah that's no. right. I, I jest, but the, the, these are these are just this is the world. And so we're we're rolling with it. You betcha. Um, what about, and I know like we, we, we sort of mentioned off the top, uh, uh, a long time in this industry here, uh, many different genres, many different uh, artists and groups you've worked with, projects you've been a part of, uh, composing you've done as well. What are what are some some notable projects? I know that's tough to kind of to narrow down, but uh, a couple notable pieces that stick out sort of top in your mind for for a couple different reasons. Yeah, you know um, that's a good question too. And I was thinking about this earlier in case you asked me, but <laughs> I uh, there's there's one that really stands out to me, and it's I wrote an orchestral soundtrack to a, a, a play that my brother wrote and directed based on the the life of Edgar Allan Poe. You know, on a on a personal level, I have so much fun working on orchestral music just because I love listening to it. I I, I 
you know, I buy the soundtracks for films that come out. It's just such a, such a, a fun medium for me to work in. And so I started to uh, create projects visually so I could score music for them. <laughs> oh, nice. Uh, yeah. Which is, which is a great way to be able to score something that you really want to write. Uh, you know, uh, my brother and I always wanted to do a project like that together. And he's a, he's a visual mastermind. Of, he's a he's high school teacher that just, you know, he really knows his stuff and drama and history. And it, we're both interested in that, you know, kind of darker, storytelling uh, of you know and history of Edgar Allan Poe so we thought this is going to be a great one let's bring some of his stories and poems to life and and I'll create sort of a an orchestral score to to kind of match that feeling so that yeah it was a I don't know if I could do it all again I would for sure yeah and uh oh man what a fun project we had five sold out stage shows and it was just wild but uh yeah that one will will always hold a special place in my heart. just recently here's another one this this is this is wild but uh, i play and produce this band um with three other guys uh the scott benson band yeah oh yeah uh, yeah yeah. and it's an orchestral uh sort of rock i guess you'd call it a project with uh, a fiddle or violin leading the the pack so we had uh, a song all of a sudden just take off and uh i think through those up. social medias too that's yeah. you, you were complaining before about and now here it comes <laughs> yeah that's right that's right it all comes back <laughs> i think we've got over a hundred million streams on tiktok and uh we've reached over 10 million um payable streams through like spotify and a couple other sites wow and so we didn't we had no idea and then someone told us hey i think i just heard your song on uh, UFC for a Conor McGregor announcement. So we had to look it up and we were thinking, surely it just sounds like something like us because we haven't really been active as a band for, for a few years. It's more of a pet project for us. And sure enough, there it was. UFC Europe uh, used the track. And so we thought maybe we should look into what our stream count is and boom. Wow. wow. They don't tell you when you reach 10 million spotify streams no no notification sent here nope, or anything no nope. yeah. you just have to you just have to look it up so that was a good one uh you know there's so many fun projects I, every time i i compose a score for a sastel commercial or recently i did all the scores for the stick it to covid campaign and uh some stuff for the trade and economic development um, videos that are going out to the rest of the world to kind of bring more industry to Saskatchewan. All those things are, are so different. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and now, 
you know, I'm working on a whole bunch of video and photography and music for the Tunnels of Moose Jaw, which has kind of kept me, you know, doing things locally here uh, since I haven't been able to have anyone in the studio for the last, well, almost year. Um, and, and that's going to change, you know, people are starting to um, really clamor to get back in the studio. So I've, I'm going to have to open the doors, uh, you know, one of these weeks coming up soon. So we're getting there. What's this is sort of a big, big standard question. I'm sure that comes up, but or what, what are sort of those, those first couple questions for a prospective artist that comes to your studio that comes wanting to work to with you? What, what do you end up hearing a lot off the, off the bat out of the gate from these, these artists that approach you for the studio work? Well, you know, uh, I've, I've started to find that, that a lot of artists, they're not really sure what to expect. Um, and so I usually uh, ask them a number of questions just to kind of see their feeling on um, where they've been, what their influences are and where they want to go with their music. And, and uh, I want to make sure, of course, it's, it's a good fit for them to work with me in my studio. And so if they come here and say, well, you know, it's mostly bagpipe music, you know, I might love that, but I don't really have the skill set to record the best bagpipe album. <laughs> so, <Not> yet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's right. I'm working on it guys. I'm working on it. So I, I think, uh, you know, definitely if, if someone comes in with an idea, uh, you'd be surprised at how many artists say, uh, and, and often they're younger artists, they listen to everything and they've got, um, They've got these playlists on on Spotify and it could have country and pop and rock could have anything on it. But, um, you know, I think it's important for an artist to kind of know where they're coming from and, and uh, have those influences that they know this is really where I'm I'm getting my uh, bits of my musical craft from. Um, and it's important for me to have an acoustic track with piano or it's important for me to have orchestral stuff or I really want those crushing guitars or I really want whatever it's going to be. I, I love to hear the passion from the artists about what it is that's driving their sound home. Yeah. And, and being able to, to communicate that, to be yep. able to articulate that to, to other Absolutely. folks or to a producer. Very good answer, Jared. Yeah, you betcha. And, and you know, that sort of leads into the, the follow-up question, which is the, you know, tips for folks uh, coming into the studio then, any <laughs> studio, even even not just your own, but uh, a lot of folks that are, are walking into a studio setting, what's a good good tip beyond that? That's already a great one. <laughs> yeah, I, I keep saying, boy, that's a tricky question because it, it seems to change uh, depending on who I'm talking to. To, but I would I would normally say be as prepared as you can be before coming to the studio. But um, I realized that telling people that often had um, had a reaction of they, they're a little bit nervous because they're not sure if they're as prepared as I'd like them to be, and sometimes they're over prepared and they've got no breathing room for uh, you know the the song to kind of creatively go to a different space. If I'm feeling like, Oh, this section needs a halftime spot. And if they're already um, married to the idea, because it's the only thing they've been working on for the last three weeks before they got here, sometimes it's hard to make those, um, th those changes in the studio. So I, you know, I take it with a grain of salt, but you never really want to go to a, a studio with no ideas 
it's not it's not really the time to start writing something when you come into the studio unless that's something we've arranged beforehand um so yeah be prepared but you know with me it's always nice when you can come in here pretty relaxed so you can enjoy the 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 process that's one of the biggest things you never really want to dread going to the studio because you're so nervous you can't get your best performance out yeah so and then um i make here i make it pretty uh it's a pretty relaxed atmosphere and uh and i do that on purpose i think it's i think it works for the for the music a lot a lot better than you know really pushing someone to get something out of them that in my opinion that almost never works so um yeah so not a not a super easy answer but that's what i got for you no i, I appreciate that and again that, that that builds on nicely because that's that idea of um, yeah, know where you want to go, know what your influences are, but don't necessarily be too rigid with it. And that's, yep. yeah, that gets back to that idea of, you know, being able to have that communication and that conversation of, I, I really like this sound because, or like, oh, okay, we can move in this direction because it still fits with this. And yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what's, uh, I, I, this is going to go back to that typical sort of style, but how, how do you like to, uh, even just a song doesn't necessarily have to be an album, but, um, what do you like to start with? Is there a certain, is that, you know, case by case basis again, but, or is there, you know, I like to lay down this first before we move on to these style style things, or let's get the vocal track before we go to this, or here's a backing thing that you can work with. What's a, what's sort of that little blueprint to, if there yeah. is one. Yeah. Good question. I, I've been fortunate enough that, uh, usually an artist, regardless of whether it's hip hop or rock or, or pop, um, they've heard some of the things that I've done in the past. And so they, they kind of have an expectation um, that I'm going to build it in a certain way. And, and I kind of explain, um, I think it's a nice place to start for me, not right in the studio here. I've got a baby ground piano upstairs and sometimes we'll go up there and we'll sit there and I'll have them kind of sing through the song as I, you know, plunk out the the chord structure for them. Yeah. And and often from there, um, we get an idea of of what it's going to do tempo wise, um, and and how we're going to build it up as uh, even if it's a rock song. Sometimes it's still nice to have that uh, that bass on there. And by bass, I mean not bass, piano. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> I track bass last. <laughs> <laughs> i anyway i i think that it's uh sometimes it changes the perspective too it's like oh this is a great song and all it needed was um some um a little bit of ivories that's cool though man yeah, yeah. i wouldn't i wouldn't necessarily expect that but it, it does make sense for sure yeah. yeah from there you know um you know there might be some lyric changes that we can talk about early on things like that and and uh then when we decide, okay, we're, we're ready to start tracking this thing. We'll I'll, I'll come down. I'll either play the guitar or the piano, or they'll have, uh, you know, musicians with them that are going to do that. And then I'll usually do the percussion first. Uh, drummers can really feel, you know, their playing style in my, in my experience ha- will change a lot if there's uh you know, some, some energy on there. So depending on what the genre is, we might throw kind of a heavier guitar or something, or, um, you know, distort drums to kind of give it a certain feeling so that their playing style comes out in a certain way on the track. And I, you know, it's, uh, it, um, it's hard to really 
you can usually feel in the beginning with their influences that we talk about um, the way I'm going to shape the first little bit of how we're going to start recording together. And so it's interesting for me too, because it's not always the same thing. It'll change from from artist to artist. So um, yeah, very cool in that way. Yeah, agreed. And and like you say, uh, uh, sort of going back to that ecosystem talk too. Then of of yeah, changing right. the style. And I, I appreciate what you say about then also helping create that energy for folks too. If if that's what the song and if that's the, what the genre kind of needs, then to to be able to help support that and and provide that space to to get the best performance from someone. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. Awesome. Um, Jared, I appreciate you taking your time. I, I could, I, especially these times I could chat with you all afternoon if you were yeah, able man. to do so. I, I appreciate you being part of this, this community in this province and, and, uh, that attitude you bring to it too, Jared. That's awesome. Oh, thanks Ben. Yeah. I appreciate it. Huge thanks to Jared for taking the time out of his schedule to chat with us here on the Saskatchewan Studio Spotlight. If you want to know more about Jared, as well as Nebulous Entertainment and the number of projects they're involved in, not only example of music production work, but also that graphic design and photography work, be sure to check out nebulousentertainment.com. We're going to end off with a, another example of great work from Jared and Nebulous in the studio there. Two hip-hoppers out of Moose Jaw, UMXY, off their 2020 album Purple Pill, the the song's called Far Too Late. Take care. Thanks for tuning in. God's got a plan for your life. Best believe the devil does too. Everybody's got dreams, but it's mostly nightmares that come true. Fake friends never come through. Trust nobody else, just you. Two choices. Be careful how you choose. Two pills, one red, one blue.